It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. Hope you had a sensational weekend. We got a big hour coming your way. Byron uh, Donalds will be with us, a congressman from Florida, really taking people by storm. Uh, he has got a great op-ed out called Divide and Conquer or Unite and Prosper. That is really what's at stake with this country. Joe Biden talks a big game, but his executive orders just fly in the face of everything that has to do with cooperation. Could not be more disappointed about certain aspect, aspects about what's going on. And I do, was encouraged last night, evidently, or yesterday, they got on the line together, did Joe Manchin and get some Republicans and Democrats to talk about this $1.9 trillion request by Joe Biden to help out during the pandemic. We just gave $900 billion. And it was a follow-up question called, what are you doing with the money? And they said, good, we'll get back to you. So now they realize they have to to explain their rationalization for requesting money. By the way, we don't have. Today, uh, Mayor de Blasio will be having a media availability in New York. The Senate Foreign Relations uh, Committee, uh, Business Committee will be meeting, try to get everything going. And then there'll be this dramatic walk of impeachment articles from the House to the Senate where people are going to pretend to be grim. It is farcical that we're doing this. But let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Mahomes, Brady, Super Bowl, yes. a history of the sport and life. <laughs> it's what every fan or a million of them wanted other than obviously Buffalo and Green Bay this week. Yeah, that is uh, Super Bowl is all set. Youth first experience, Patrick Mahomes, 25 years old, 43-year-old Tom Brady and the Buccaneers well, and the Kansas City Chiefs. First time in the history of the Super Bowl, you'll have Tampa playing at home. But uh, it won't feel like a home crowd. In fact, it'll be only about half full. Guess what else is half full? The ads. Nobody wants to buy ads at the Super Bowl. They're too afraid of being politically incorrect or correct. Number two. I'm afraid that some of the actions that President Biden and the administration has taken is actually going to cause an immigration and border security crisis on our southwest border. And that's something that we don't need right now. You think so? Former Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf saying there's two caravans coming our direction. A third one leaving first week in February from El Salvador. Why is it that we are banning people from coming from our European nations, from South Africa, But we're not banning them from coming to our border. What a joke. Number one. My view is is Biden has to do bipartisanship. His whole campaign was built on unity. If he doesn't do that, he makes his campaign a lie. So he has to try it. And I'm reasonably optimistic they can do it. Yeah, but he's not even trying. He's got a bunch of executive orders, David Brooks. So far, nothing. Togetherness, unity, compromise. So far, not so much. What we have seen so far from what can and what we can expect and why I think the roads lead to a loss of the filibuster, which is just simple majority. So if a Democrat has the majority in the Senate and the House, they will get everything they want passed because it's hard to believe that Joe Manchin would stand in the way. But uh, we'll see what happens. He wants $1.9 trillion, not going to wait forever. Dick Durbin bringing up yesterday that, you know what, the, to take it off the table would not be fair. 
What does it mean getting rid of the filibuster? It means 50-50 with the vice president, everything that Joe Biden proposes they get. And they're not doing things like building up the Navy and not the Air Force. They're not talking about the Space Force being defunded or, or uh, missile star treaties with Russia. They're talking about restructuring our energy policy to the point we've got to go start buying oil and gas from other people because we are not ready to make that transition. We're not drilling in federal lands. We are not using the pipeline like we said we would. And I guarantee you the fracking contracts are going to be harder to come about. If you want to know what I'm upset about, it's the executive orders. I know they can be reversed, but not for years until you get a new president. Here's Bernie Sanders basically saying what most Democrats are thinking. Cut to. I don't know what the word compromise means. I know that working families are in living today in more economic desperation than since the Great Depression. And if Republicans are willing to work with us to address that crisis, welcome. Let's do it. But what we cannot do is wait weeks and weeks and months and months to go forward. We have got to act now. That is what the American uh, people want. But we just gave you $900 billion. There's been trillions given up, $4 trillion already. They just said $1.8 trillion has not been spent. Why do you need another $1.9 trillion? I, I don't get it. I mean, at least tell us where it's going. Mr. Under Mitt Romney, a constant critic of the president, but when he was asked about this, this is what he said. Cut seven. I think it would be uh, unrealistic to assume that uh, that Democrats and Republicans are going to see eye to eye on every issue. Uh, there are going to be differences of opinion. Uh, that's expected. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's appropriate for us to have unity of, of purpose, unity of heart, uh, a recognition that we respect each other and treat each other uh, with comity. And, and that is something which I believe President Biden wants to see. A at the same time, I think there are some actions the president is taking that, uh, that are going to lead to some anger and division. And where are we seeing it? I mean, just not, not building the wall when it's there, saying you want immigration reform, but not even talking about border security. I mean, what are you talking about in this bill? You're raising minimum wage. What does that have to do with the pandemic? So that's not, you know, he's saying the right things, but he's not doing anything except for going with the left wing agenda to the point where Bernie Sanders actually is happy. Just so you know, that's my that is my barometer. If Bernie Sanders is happy, I'm extremely worried about the country, extremely worried. And I think that this is going to motivate, I hope, Republicans to get involved in these midterms and at least take back the House and get that one seat, uh, get that one seat in the Senate, I would hope. So, I mean, I also hope overall, I'm not going to sit here and criticize Joe Biden every day just because he's a Democrat or Joe Biden. I, I want to hear that Joe Biden stood up to his left wing of the party. I want to hear that he sat down there with uh, Mitch McConnell and they worked at a deal where both didn't get everything they wanted. I hope to say that one time. So far, I have not seen that. David Brooks of the New York Times. He's a conservative, but an anti-Trumper in every way. Wrote a book on philosophy um, and tone and everything. Here's what he said on Meet the Press yesterday. Let's listen. My view is, is Biden has to do bipartisanship. His whole campaign was built on unity. If he doesn't do that, he makes his campaign a lie. So he has to try it. And I'm reasonably optimistic they can do it. Every Republican I talk to says, hey, I know Joe Biden. Biden's a trustworthy guy. There are also a bunch of things in the COVID relief bill a lot of Republicans have already been for, like the child tax credit and other things. The Republican Party is just incredibly divided in a way that's different than I've ever seen. They've always been divided over ideology. Mm -hmm. But now it's in every family. Well, I think that uh, they're divided to a degree. 
but not really on issues. I mean, I don't really, I never remember him more on the same page with issues. I mean, I think there was, when they came to the tax cut, I think only Susan Collins was tougher to convince. You know, I think Mitt Romney, had he been in Congress at the time and Senate at the time, he would even vote for it. But there's just controversy, there's controversy about Donald Trump. That's it. But the thing Trump did was right in line outside the spending, which were pretty extraordinary. We're pretty much in line with most Republican agenda. So last thing on unity. Tim Alberta was on Meet the Press, and he, he weighed in. He's with uh, Politico. Cut 11. I think there are probably more of those Republican senators than uh, than many of us realize. And I think uh, one of Joe Biden's sort of unique gifts here stepping into this role as president at a time like this is that he knows uh, not just how many there are, but who those individuals are. And he knows sort of which buttons to push and, and, and when to push them and then when to sort of back off. And keep in mind, you know, Joe Biden was in a similar position 12 years ago as vice president in Coming in the Obama administration, and uh, there, there was there was some belief that with the stimulus package that was pushed through very hastily without any Republican votes, that that was a tactical mistake. That in mm-hmm. some ways it sort of poisoned the well with certain Republicans on the Hill, who had they taken a little bit more time, would have been willing to sign on to that deal. So I think that that memory still haunts Biden a little bit. So that and the Obamacare jamming it down everyone's throat. Now, you think things are bad for Republicans? Remember, they had lost the House and they lost the Senate and they lost the presidency. And they had 60 votes for a brief time until Ted Kennedy passed away and he was replaced by Scott Brown. They had 60 votes. He could have done anything and he still had problems getting Obamacare through an $800 billion stimulus. Now they're talking about $1.9 weeks after getting $900 billion, months before got a total of $4 trillion. So, you know, as... Angus King said, uh, a so-called independent who caucuses with Democrats, this is not monopoly money. The other big issue is immigration. This is such a unforced error. No one was pushing him to do this right away, but he wants to do immigration reform with no border security elements in it. You know it's a non-starter, unless, of course, you throw out the filibuster, correct? So Chad Wolf looked at what's happening at the border, knew how bad it was when they were getting mixed messages from the Triangle countries. Now we have a pandemic. We have a pandemic to the point where yesterday, it's going to be official today, we found out that they reissued a travel ban. Where is it? Executive order. Uh, and I kind of understand it. And Israel did the same thing. It's not bad. It's just, it, to me, it's the, the sign of the times. Fox has confirmed through White House sources that President Biden on Monday will reimpose an entry ban on nearly all non-U.S. travelers who have been to Brazil, the United Kingdom, Ireland, and 26 countries in Europe and allow travel across open borders. Okay. All right. That's your, that's your decision. I respect that. In the U.K., they've done similar things. How does that gel with what's happening at the southern border? Now you're going to put our Border Patrol out there with what, masks, and they're supposed to be okay? With total strangers? They might be great people, but we're in a pandemic. Do you think they got inoculated? Do you think that they have uh, they got rapid tests? Do you think they all wore masks as they walk hundreds of miles, thousands of miles to our border? And now if they get here, we let them in. And if they get here, we stay no deportations for 100 days. How do you have these two orders in the same government? Do you understand my frustration? Do you feel the same way? one 408 7669 I'm going to take your calls next. Then I'm going to find out what's going on in the House. Congressman Byron Donalds is there. Remember, last summer, 
Nancy Pelosi was fraying at the edges with a lot of moderates who said, you're not doing anything. You're waiting out into this election. People are dying on the vine. Businesses are closed. We know your district is a mess. Do you know have more homeless than you do employ, uh, people employed, perhaps? I'm wondering if that's happening right now. I'm going to find out what's the tone on the floor with, with Congress. And then this dumb idea to do this impeachment, uh, this solemn, the pretend solemn walk across to the Senate with the articles. Please. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be back with you on what promises to be an exciting, intriguing week. So glad you're here. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The American people want us to take action. Action on this pandemic, action on this economy, and on a, a host of other issues. And if this filibuster has now become so common in the Senate that we can't act, that we just sit there helpless, shame on us. Of course we should consider a change in rule under those circumstances. But let's see. Let's see if we can initiate a real bipartisan dialogue and get something done. That's the bottom line. Yeah, I'd like to get something done. It's got to compromise. And if you're not going to compromise, the Republicans aren't going to do anything. But make put pressure on them by giving a little bit of what they want. Then go public and say, look at the areas I'm giving him, giving in. And then there's then there's uh, there'll be pressure on the other side, perhaps. But uh Shame on us for taking filibuster off the table. Do you realize what this is going to mean? Anybody with control of the Senate and House from now on in, all their programs, simple majority? Linda, listen on WIBX in Utica, New York. Hey, Linda. Hi. How are you? Good. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I was just wondering, in Portland and Tacoma, why is the National Guard not being deployed there? President doesn't want it. You remember when President Trump did that? They went crazy? Yeah. But then they send them, you know, to D.C. for some virtual thing. I mean, this is ridiculous. How, how, Linda, how hard would it be 
for Joe Biden to say what happened in Portland, what happened in Denver, what happened in Tacoma is unacceptable. This will stop. I'm fully empowering uh, police and a special task force to take them out. I mean, they want to release yeah. all prisoners, get rid of all laws and get rid of all cops. That's a, that's to, to the left of country. AOC. Go ahead. They want to destroy our country. Why isn't anyone doing anything about this? Well, Trump tried. Uh, we're bringing it up, and I'm going to we'll do as much pressure as we can. Jim, listen to WHIO in Ohio. Jim. Hey, Brian. How you doing today? Good. What's on your mind? Hey, I yeah, appreciate you very much. Love your show. Thank you. Hey, uh, I, think you're, I, I think you're getting a little ahead of yourself here with these midterms, Brian. The, the Republican Party's fractured. It's not going to heal. I, I flew down to, to welcome Trump home. My mom lives down in West Palm Beach uh, Tuesday. Um Probably 25,000 people lying in the streets on Southern Boulevard. And to a person, they're done with the Republican Party. And if we have 75 million voters, uh, I saw the Axios poll where it looked like about 30 to 35 of these voters are just Trump voters. million voters are just Trump voters. Why? I, I'm Why? I mean, you, are you upset? What are you upset at the Republican Party for? Uh, they, the, the swamp, the establishment, the McConnells, uh, they've, already, they've already damaged Trump beyond repair. It doesn't matter what happens. Um, there's there's not going to be a, a conviction in the Senate. The Republicans know that, yep. that whatever whoever votes for that's finished as a politician, uh, period. But uh, you, you have to remember Trump. Trump uh, was responsible for uh, part of, of winning 24 Senate seats in four years. Six of them he had a direct effect on winning those seats, including the seat in Indiana and, and others. But he blew the Georgia uh, he one. He blew he blew the Georgia one. You cannot tell me you're happy with the way he acted in Georgia. I, I'm, you know what? The election was stolen. We know it was stolen. And you're not going to heal this. It's not going to be healed. The Republican Party's finished. I doubt it. Uh, thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. Jonathan Carl, about the conviction of the president, he said the same thing that CNN came up with. It's not going to happen. Cut 44. Right now, Donald Trump is not going to get convicted uh, in the Senate uh, unless there are major new revelations. Mitch McConnell hasn't ruled out uh, voting for conviction, but nobody who I have to talked to close to McConnell thinks there's any chance that he would actually vote to convict. That said, uh, George, during this trial, unlike the last impeachment trial, you're not going to see uh, significant numbers of Republicans coming out to actually defend Donald Trump. They will focus on the process and the constitutionality. They will argue that it is neither wise nor is it constitutional to convict somebody in an impeachment trial, a president who has already left office. It's dumb. It's just dumb. It's for Democrats to distract because they can't live without Donald Trump. Their policies are terrible. They're not popular. They're economically um, they're economically uh, uh, anti-intellectual for what it takes to pull this economy back in the time of a pandemic. Everything they're doing goes against logic. It's all about their agenda. Unless they can bring Donald Trump up and do their agenda while they go ahead and prosecute Donald Trump. Marco Rubio. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. 
put it that put it this way. Cut thirty eight. The first chance I get to vote to end this trial, I'll do it because I think it's really bad for America. If you want to hold people accountable, there's other ways to do it, particularly for presidents, including, as I said, the perspective of history and, and even now as people are learning more about all this. But it's really bad. When you talk about situations like this, this is, this is not a criminal justice trial. This is a political process. And ultimately, it is a political process that's going to inject things into our public discourse, into our debates, that's going to make it harder to get important things done, and it's just going to continue to fuel uh, these divisions that have paralyzed the country and, and have turned us into a country of people that hate each other. Yeah, and and I think at the end, Donald Trump's approval is actually going to go up after this impeachment because they're going to realize everybody who gives a speech, a fiery speech, if you have that ability, and if they go out and commit a crime like shoot the Republicans while they're practicing softball, and they go back and they say, well, it was a speech given by that uh, him or her speech that they gave on the on the stump two weeks ago? That's the road you're getting on. Oh, he gave a speech and they raided the Capitol. Never said to do that. So when they debate it, the more they look at it, the more they realize these clowns have got in there, most of which were going to do that anyway, and we were not ready for it. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. And I will tell you also, after President Biden's first week in office, I've heard from some individuals who are really not happy with some of these executive orders and the way this administration had said, oh, we're all for unity, but what they're really wanting is for you to submit and conform to an agenda that is the agenda of the left. Uh, That was uh, Michelle uh, Marshall Blackburn, and that was last night, talking about these 19 executive orders, and I think seven more are coming today, and and things that that are in there are, doesn't even explain them. Oh, what is your point? Why are you doing this? Well, I said I was going to do it. Well, you don't even answer it. He doesn't answer any real questions. He gets aggravated if he gets them. They insulate him in bubble wrap. And then he does all these things that are different from any other president. The other high on first week of executive orders was five, Barack Obama. He's just doing it all himself. Congressman Byron Donalds wrote about that. He's a new Republican uh, on the 19th District in Florida. And his latest op-ed, Divide and Conquer or Unite and Prosper. Congressman, you heard the words, the speech. What do you think of the speech? What do you think of Joe Biden's action so far? I mean, the speech sounded good, but, I mean, the actions have been despicable. I mean, look, I don't care if you've been married at any length of time. Your wife tells you that. They don't really care what you say. They just want to see you do it. And what we've seen is the president is really just going on his own, unilaterally doing what he wants. He has taken the pen and the phone that President Obama talked so much about, and he's taken it to all new heights. And the media and the left are just happy about it. You know, I mean, take a look. The biggest one from an economic perspective is the Keystone Pipeline. There was no rationale or reason to halt construction on the Keystone Pipeline. It's helped our nation continue its dominance with respect to natural gas in the world. And he comes in and shuts it down. Like, how are you unifying the country if literally you're telling people who work in the oil patch, who work on these rigs, that no, on second thought, we don't really want you working anymore. We're shutting it down. That's not unity. That's just more division. So listen to the message from the socialist uh, senator, Bernie Sanders, cut 12. 
If Democrats don't pass these sweeping changes you're talking about, do you think that they will lose control of the House and Senate in 2022? That's what history tells us. What history tells us is that when Clinton uh, won in 92, two years later, the Democrats didn't do as much as they should have. They got swept out by the Republicans. Obama won in 2008, 2010. Republicans uh, decimated them at the polling booths. So he's saying if you don't go strong, we're gonna get, they're going to get killed. That's not uh, – that's a rationale for getting rid of the filibuster and jamming everything down your throat. Well, listen, let me, let me correct Bernie Sanders on the record. I know he's been in government way too long, so maybe he forgets how the real world looks at these things. But if they continue with this radical agenda and just dram it down the American people's throat, they are going to revolt at the ballot box. They're going to go back and say, these people are nuts. Um, you know, trying to put us in the Paris Climate Accord, which doesn't help anybody, especially doesn't help um, our middle-income families, our poor-income families. It doesn't help them. Keystone Pipeline, this ridiculous executive order that lets, you know, you know, that lets people define their gender and then that allows them to play in different sport leagues. Like, things of this nature are not what the American people want. What the American people, frankly, want is just to be left alone, for government to do its job, no more, no less, and to make sure that we have the building blocks for a strong economy. It's really that simple, Brian. It, it doesn't get more simple than that. But unfortunately, when you have somebody like Bernie Sanders, who's now who's now going to be the chairman of the Budget Committee in the Senate, you know, with beyond a shadow of a doubt, he's pushing his agenda. He's been very clear. He needs to fail in that agenda because it's the worst thing for our country. Yeah, and when you uh, when you're dealing with two parties who differ on so many things, the one thing that we do agree on the pandemic is the number one thing you have to conquer. How would you characterize the vaccine? how it's being handled in Florida? Um, actually, it's going really well. And I know there are a lot of struggles. A lot of people are waiting in lines. People can't get appointments. But you have to understand, we're trying to, we are literally on pace, before Joe Biden got sworn in, by the way, we were on pace to vaccinate 100 million people in 100 days. That's the current rate of progress we're on right now. The president, the current president, had nothing to do with that. But that being said, you have an, ex- you have an uh, extremely high rate of demand for a product where the supplies are still limited. So of course you're gonna have dislocations. I think that on par though, the way Governor DeSantis is doing it, making sure that we if we vaccinate seniors first, that they are the priority, is the a, a totally appropriate way to go. Frankly, that's why you have a lot of seniors who are flying down to Florida trying to get a vaccine. And then we had to basically tell them, you can't just fly in and get it here. You need to deal in your state. So I think in Florida, it's gone really well. Obviously, there's going to be hiccups in it because you're dealing with a mass amount, massive amounts of demand. But we're going to work our way through it. As long as the stockpiles and the supplies continue to come, we're going to do the job in Florida. Yeah, right now it's kind of slow. I'm just amazed Anthony Fauci He's doing every interview in the New York Times. He's doing Chris Cuomo. He's doing their morning show. He's uh, uh, and just saying and, and having his press conference. This guy's supposed to be running everything, takes responsibility for nothing, is wrong so often. I've never seen somebody who's supposedly have all this responsibility, uh, help with AIDS and help with Ebola and help with SARS. And on the coronavirus, he knew what was going on, even though we have records of him not. Here's what he said yesterday. This astounds me on to Rachel Maddow. Cut 30. I've been wanting to come on your show for months and months. You've been asking me to come on your show for months and months, and it's just gotten blocked. That's, I mean, let's let's call it what it is. It's just got blocked because they didn't like. 
the way you handle things, and they didn't want me on there. I mean, it was so clear when we sent it down. Why would you want to go on Rachel Maddow's show? Well, because I like her, and she's really good. It doesn't make any difference. Don't do it. I don't think you're going to see that now. I think you're going to see a lot of transparency. This guy, what does he care about whose show? I got to do this show. I like her. It's really good. I mean, I've never seen somebody so hungry for the spotlight. Look, it's clear that Dr. Fauci has just wanted to be front, the front man for everything dealing with COVID-19. He didn't want the president, President Trump, I'm talking about, talking about it. And he's got he's got the best thing he's ever wanted. He's got a president who doesn't want to be out in front anyway, a president that is sheltered, like you said before, uh, somebody who barely campaigned and now is the highest, you know, the highest ranking office holder in the land. And so he's going to have his opportunity to do all the media he wants. But I don't need Fauci on TV. I need Fauci I making sure stuff gets done. That's what I need. I know. That's it. It's unbelievable. Congressman Donalds, I know you just got there, but it's about a 10-seat advantage. They're still trying to uh, sort out what happened in New York, even though uh, Claudia Tenney has won seven times and she's up by 12 votes. They're going to recount again. Have you noticed any overture from any Democrat who said, listen, uh, I'll team with you guys. There's some things that Ed Pelosi was doing we couldn't have a say in, but now we want to have a say. Have you talked to any Democrats? I mean, I have talked to them, but is there like an overture of let's work together? No. Um, you know, I talked to Ro Khanna briefly in the hallway. He seems nice. I got to get to know him. Uh, Nakemia Williams, who actually took John Lewis's seat in Atlanta. I've known her for a couple of years when we were both back in the state legislature, respectively, in Florida and Georgia. Uh, so we have conversations. But is there this major push from the Democrats to, like, work together? I don't see it. Yeah, I'm just hoping because if you want a voice, everyone's got an ego. And then you want your district represented. If you're going to do everything Nancy Pelosi tells you with only a 10-seat advantage, that's not how to maximize your leverage for the people that put you there. I mean, you could be a little bit street smart there, I think. Uh, that's my hope, because if you guys set it up right, you could take back the House and maybe get some balance there in, uh, some balance there in Washington. Uh, Congressman, well, thank- think- go ahead. I'm sorry. I think we're going to take it back because you have people like Bernie who want to push their agenda. And when that agenda is unfurled for the American people to see with no distractions, they're going to be like, this is nuts. We need we need Republicans back in charge. So I feel great about 2022. So how do you feel about uh, Leader McCarthy? I think the leader is going to do a great job getting us, keeping us on the same page and uh, getting us towards a, a conservative agenda and making sure we promote it. And I think that's probably more important than anything else. Like we just can't sit here and say no to what the Dems are doing. We have to promote an agenda. I think the leader's committed to that. I'm definitely committed to that. What about uh, Liz Cheney in leadership? Ooh, you know what? I got to tell you, I think Liz has got to go. My opinion. You know, if in leadership, there's a bunch of votes that they want us to take. They want the caucus to stay together. Uh, but on something like with impeachment, you know, in my opinion, we should have stayed together on that one. We should have had a real conversation. That never happened, and it is what it is. So leadership never gave you marching orders and had a vote, and you think that was a mistake? Uh, no, we did not discuss it as a conference. Yeah. I think every member just made their decision. I think that probably was not the best way to go. But you know what? We're here now. All right. Uh, Congressman, best of luck. I know you'll be, I'll be talking to you again. we got stations all over Florida. Congressman Byron Donalds, appreciate it. All right. Take it easy, Brian. All Thanks. right. He's in the 19th District, one 408 When we come back, more time to take uh, take your calls and find out if indeed it's true. There is more to know. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis. Because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call 833-600-GOLD to secure your retirement. Lasted how long? Nine years. 180 episodes. You gave it up, right? I did, sir. They didn't cancel you. You canceled them. You're not aware of this? No, I'm, I'm asking you. You think I got canceled? Are you under the impression I, I, I got canceled? You, I, I hurt you, Jerry. I thought don't, that was pretty well documented. This is, most a, shows is this still CNN? Down. Don't most shows go down a little? Most people do also. You would, but... <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I went off the air. I was the number one show on television, Larry. You were Do all, you know who I am? <laughs> Jewish guy, Brooklyn. Yes. Okay. 75 what? million viewers last okay. episode. What you? Don't take like it so canceled. bad. Well, that's a, a big difference between being canceled and being number one. <laughs> okay. It was fantastic. That was a great exchange. Seinfeld was truly flabbergasted. I think he was promoting the B movie that they were both in. And uh, that is Larry King. One of his last interviews, I think, of the last year, is on CNN. Yeah, and then he moved on to other things after CNN. But yeah, and what he passed away on Saturday at eighty-seven. Right, and you know the thing about him, he was very curious. He always prided himself on knowing very little. He wanted to have natural curiosity. Didn't want anything to be scripted. So that was his whole thing. Uh, just listen. Cut forty-seven. No, I'm not confrontational. No, I was not there to hammer the guest. Right. But I would, when I heard that, I would always say, "Give me an example." Of a bad question. Uh-huh. That's a bad question I ask. I've never heard a good example. Uh-huh. I ask good questions. I listened to the answers. I followed up. I didn't scream at guests. I never counted me as more. A lot of talk show hosts, the guest is a prop mm-hmm. for them. The guest is there to serve their needs. Mm-hmm. I never felt that way. I always felt that. The, and Paul Newman said to me once, he says, you know, you're going to be there the next night. Mm-hmm. So what do, what do you need? Do I need to flaunt my desires? I don't need that. If you ask good questions, and the simplest questions are the best. So that is Larry King's magic. But at CNN, he fell in disfavor a little bit because the journalists there were getting upset that he had big newsmakers on and wouldn't ask him tough enough questions. They replaced him with Pierce Morgan. And Pierce Morgan got in trouble because he basically didn't say that nice things. Because he's like, well, I was friends with Larry. I've been Myra, but uh, he basically had negative things to say about me when I took over for him. He says, like, watching somebody take your brand new Bentley over a cliff. So Pierce Morgan brought that up, and people started blowing back in Man of Pierce. But you know what? That's I don't really know Pierce Morgan, but I don't blame him. No, but what I will say is I think, going back to what Larry King was saying, he's right, right? You need to listen, and you can speak to this more than anyone in interviews. Maybe have a little bit of a background on the guest, something, but you got to listen and respond as opposed to just knowing what question you want to go to next, because right. sometimes you'll then jump over something important. Uh, that's what I always thought. Next, sports. Miami Heat are going to use COVID-19 sniffing dogs to screen fans to try to get fans into their building. They will use these, uh, these dogs at American Airlines Arena to screen those fans. They've been working out the plan for months, and the highly trained dogs have been in a place for some games this season where the team has allowed a handful of guests, mostly friends and family, to go. They are desperate to get fans in. they got to sell tickets. What do you think about this? I agree with you with getting fans there, but are sniffing dogs the best way to do it is my question. 
I mean, you could take their temperature, but I mean, yeah. that's what health clubs are doing. But they said if the dog like, sits next to you, right, because you smell like COVID, you and everyone you're with can't go into the game. And I know the dogs are highly trained, but I mean, maybe we just get tests going a little faster. Yeah, that's true. But then again, if you have 18,000 tests, do you want to send them to the arena or do you want to send them to the, your neighborhood? No, but I would like to maybe have like a um, way to question if the dog was right or not, right? Maybe if he sits next to you instead of just getting kicked out, maybe you then get the 15-minute test. Yeah, that would be good. Uh, okay, that's a good compromise. Next, the pandemic could be worsening childhood obesity. No kidding. We got a 10-month-old, 10-month-long school closure, and the coronavirus pandemic is here. If kids aren't involved in sports or they've been canceled, it only stands to logic the kids are going to gain weight. They say children tend to gain weight in the summer when schools are out. Studies show in a letter in medical school obesity already estimated an increased obesity rate in children of more than 4% if they remain out of school for five more months. It's sad. And hopefully everyone gets back to school soon. But it makes sense, too. Yeah, they got to get back to school. Now, now you even have Biden saying go back to school. And Chicago says, yeah, we're not going to do that. The union. Do you believe this? It's so disgusting to see how after the election, everyone has changed their tune. Right. Next. I don't know what the big deal is with Winston Churchill. Can we leave him in the Oval Office? Now, Biden has removed the bust uh, of Winston Churchill. The Washington Post is part of the tour of the new design of the famous room for that Biden does not have a bust on display. He's got Martin Luther King Jr. He's got Cesar Chavez, but no Winston Churchill. The Biden administration on Friday defended that decision to remove a bust of Winston Churchill, creating a video designed to remind people of what the special relationship is truly about. Uh, so Boris Johnson did that. The video contrasts pictures of the bust, which is described as just a bust of Winston Churchill, with pictures of former presidents meeting with former prime ministers and highlights of the U.S.-U.K. relationship. It hurts the Boris Johnson situation. I agree with you. And I also agree. Just keep the bust there. Like, why has this become such a flashpoint? Here's what uh, Niall Gardner said, who was an aide to Margaret Thatcher. The Biden White House is doubling down on removing Churchill. Just a bust of Winston Churchill, so Winston Churchill saved the free world. He's a huge hero on both sides of the Atlantic. Show some respect. All right. Next. Dancing Queens. A new study reveals why women own the dance floor. The study examines why women are so good at dancing. The research was done at Northumbria University in England. Acknowledging the importance of dancing, particularly in the context of courtship and finding partners. The study is published in the Journal of Scientific Reports. To study this topic, researchers use motion capture technology to record 34, 39 heterosexual women, 18 to 30, dancing in some basic drumbeat. Then they asked 200 people, 57 males, to watch and rate the participants' dance skills, 143 females, 18 years old. The researchers found that good dancing came down to three characteristics. Are you ready? Those who were considered better dancers had a greater swing of the hip, asymptomatical movements of the thighs and intermediate levels of their arm movement. I love how you can break down anything into mathematical things. Basically, swing your hips, keep your thighs symmetric, and... What about an overall lack of rhythm? I'm not sure how that figured up. The study also explained that the asymptomatic thigh and arm movements could demonstrate a woman's good motor control, which might then send a message that she's healthy. As long as the limb independence does not verge into uncontrolled pathological movement. So going back, you know, years when you were in the clubs watching women dance, was this what you were thinking? Yes. She's healthy. Finally, a study (laughs) to back up my instincts. Yes. Look at the movements. Look at her motor control. She must be special. 
She might be perfect. Imagine walking up to a woman at the bar. Like, I've noticed your symmetrical thigh <laughs> movements. I think it's fantastic. Right. And you know what? What woman wouldn't swoon on that? I agree. Uh, I met Mr. Wright. Oh, I had another great one ready to go. We're going to have to wait for a different hour. What a tease. I know. Uh, thanks so much for listening, everyone, to this hour of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're just getting started on this Monday. Go to briankilmeadeshow.com, order the podcast, and go to briankilmeade.com. Get any of my books. I could sign and send them. All you have to do is want them. Uh, and, of course, there are look back at history the way it should be, the way it was. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Here we go. Brian Kilmeade Show coming your way from New York. Heard around the country, heard around the world. We got a big hour coming your way. And uh, Andy Ngo is going to be with us, editor-at-large for the Post-Millennial and author of the upcoming book, Unmasked, Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy. He's been beat up by them. He knows these guys and women, by the way, who are involved in this. And maybe why Joe Biden is so reluctant to call him out. And Michael Goodwin. We'll bring us up close and personal to Joe Biden's quest for unity, or is it even a quest at all? So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Mahomes, Brady, Super Bowl, yes. the history of the sport and life. <laughs> it's what every fan or a million of them wanted other than obviously Buffalo and Green Bay this week. Yeah, meanwhile, Super Bowl youth first experience, Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City Chiefs, uh, Tom Brady against uh, Tampa, uh, Tampa Bay will be hosting a Super Bowl. You know, it gets awarded years ahead of time. Nobody ever thought the Bucks were going to make the playoffs before Tom Brady went there, let alone lead them to the Super Bowl. Three road wins, and they are there. Kansas City looking to repeat for the first time since Tom Brady's Patriots. Number two. I'm afraid that some of the actions that President Biden and the administration has taken is actually going to cause an immigration and border security crisis on our southwest border. And that's something that we don't need right now. Yeah, no kidding. Immigration. Uh, We ban most travel from other countries, many allied countries, because of fear of the pandemic. But caravans, they're barreling towards our border and there's an indifference in Washington. Number one. My view is, is Biden has to do bipartisanship. His whole campaign was built on unity. If he doesn't do that, he makes his campaign a lie. So he has to try it. And I'm reasonably optimistic they can do it. Uh, conservative columnist David Brooks, who has been conservative for quite some time with the New York Times. Togetherness, unity, compromise. So far, not so much. What we have seen so far, what we can expect, and why I think all roads lead to a loss of the filibuster. And uh, let's bring this uh, question to Michael Goodwin, New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor. Michael, what I'm hearing over the weekend, and I'll place some examples, but what I'm hearing is they're getting the American public used to the fact that they're going to try to get rid of the 60-vote threshold. Well, good morning, Brian. Look, uh, this issue of unity, I believe, is a fig leaf. 
uh, it's really designed to keep the Democratic Party together. Uh, they, they, they like to hear the word unity uh, as though it's a real invitation to Trump supporters, conservatives. But in fact, it's just a, a call to Democrats, stay together. Uh, let's not let our own uh, fault lines explode on us. Uh, don't forget, I mean, Joe Biden heads a, a fractured party. And so when you look at what he's actually doing, uh, as I say in the column, uh, it's John Mitchell's, you know, watch what we do, not what we say. Well, what Biden is doing, I think, is straddling the divides in his own party. He's picked a bunch of veterans for his cabinet, uh, old-line Democrats, the party war horses, and he's, with his executive orders, he's throwing candy to the progressive wing. So he's trying to keep everybody together. But uh, when it comes to something like the filibuster rule, Democrats will be all in for getting rid of it uh, so that they can use their majority in the Senate to pass whatever they want. Uh, this is not an appeal to Republicans. This is an appeal to Democrats only. And I think that's how he intends to govern. Uh, he'll have the media on his side. He won't have to worry about the half of the country that doesn't want him. Uh, he'll only cater to the half that elected him. Well, you know, he says he's not going to do the opposite. You know, he was the guy out there to cut deals in Congress. So that'll last a little while. And then we're going to see if the American people can digest with their uh, jamming down our throats, which is forget oil and gas. Who cares about defense? Well, let's go into the Paris Climates deal and see where else. Nothing else matters. Uh, Dick Durbin, uh, by the way, you can't, they can't get a deal in the Senate uh, between Schumer and McConnell because McConnell says, I'll give you a deal. But just promise me you're not going to get rid of the filibuster when it comes to legislation. And Schumer won't budge on this. Here's what Dick Durbin said. Cut five. Harry Reid, in fact, suggests giving it a couple of months. Would you put a – I've almost wondered when, when Senator Schumer and Senator McConnell negotiating, are you willing to say, okay, well, we won't do it for six months. Let's see how you behave. Well, let me answer your question by citing another thing. We're trying to pass an organizing resolution. You know what that's all about, so that the committees can get down to business. And what uh, Chuck Schumer put on the table was word for word the bipartisan agreement the last time we had a 50-50 Senate. And Senator McConnell came back and said, no, I want absolute protection. The filibuster will not be touched. Well, that's a non-starter, because if we gave him that, then the filibuster would be on everything every day. Uh, so here's the bottom line. If we are going to work in a bipartisan fashion, let's pass the organizing resolution without the extra McConnell language. Let's get down to business. Well, that's the problem, because down to business will be, well, the, the Republicans don't want to sign up for the $1.9 trillion. They, want to do, they don't want to do immigration reform, so we're gonna, we have no choice but to get rid of the filibuster. Can you see that scenario? Of course. Uh, the minute the Republicans assert uh, the filibuster to, to block anything on uh, Joe Biden's or Congress's wish list, they'll say, well, see, see, we can't have the filibuster. I mean, this idea of now uh, under Trump, uh, resistance was patriotism. Now resistance will be treachery. So you'll have to you'll have to go along with whatever Democrats want or the New York Times will denounce you, the Washington Post, CNN. You'll be resistors. You'll be 
traitors. You'll be obstructionist. Uh, Nancy Pelosi in a fundraising appeal is already calling Republicans obstructionists. So if you don't give them what they want, then you should be crushed. I mean, that is the way the left is approaching this now. And look, in fairness, the Republicans use their majority on issues like the Supreme Court, but they never tried to uh, lift the filibuster on legislation. President Trump wanted them to, but many Republicans did not. They, and even Joe Manchin, uh, Brian, has said to Fox that uh, if you take away the filibuster, you don't have the Senate anymore. You have the House where majority rules. And so it's, a, it's going to be a fascinating test case, but I have no doubt that the Democrats will at some point do away with mm-hmm. it simply because that is what their party wants. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. They had a conference call about the stimulus package over the weekend. Joe Manchin put it together, bipartisan. And among the people, they were asking questions of the administration like, we just gave you $900 billion. What do you need? Like, why do you need $350 more million for schools? We just gave you close to $200 million. You have not spent $1.8 trillion. What do you need on? And they go, okay, let me get back to you. I didn't know you wanted specifics. So then they're going to go back and justify the money. Really? You had to be asked to go back and justify the money you're requesting? And even Angus King was saying, I don't know what this is about because this is not monopoly money. What are you asking for? So if they work that out, then you will release your immigration plan without any border security. Yet the border security is already built in and paid for. To me, there could be something that goes across and gets passed. You would, you would hope so. But, uh, look, I, I think, again, it goes back to what makes up the Democratic Party. So, you know, the, essentially what unites the party is Donald Trump. So anything that's anti-Trump, anything that reverses anything Trump did, will be wildly embraced by the Democratic Party, pretty much all the factions, because they still hate Donald Trump. That is still their animating impulse. You know, reverse his legislation, reverse his executive orders, punish him, silence his supporters. Uh, that That is still the M.O. of the Democratic Party. And I, it's almost as though Joe Biden is riding a tiger. And he doesn't uh, – who knows what he knows? Who knows what he thinks? But you get this sense that this is all just catnip for the party, that everything is about defeating Trump. That's what unites the party. And so you can be for the craziest thing, but if Trump was on the other side of it, you're guaranteed that you'll get a lot of support in the Democratic Party. And that's what they're going to try to sell to the country. I think that's why the impeachment trial of the president is so important to them. I think the efforts to deny him from running is important. I think an investigation into his Russia ties, which Nancy Pelosi is pushing. All of this is designed to keep Donald Trump front and center so that that is a unifying element for the Democratic Party. And that then enables them to push across the line all kinds of nonsense, all kinds of policy uh, inconsistencies and incoherence simply because, well, Donald Trump was on one side, we're on the other side. Right. Here's Jonathan Carl on the chances of Donald Trump actually getting convicted. That momentum is going by the wayside. Cut 44. Right now, Donald Trump is not going to get convicted uh, in the Senate uh, unless there are 
major new revelations. Mitch McConnell hasn't ruled out uh, voting for conviction, but nobody who I have to talked to close to McConnell thinks there's any chance that he would actually vote to convict. That said, uh, George, during this trial, unlike the last impeachment trial, you're not going to see uh, significant numbers of Republicans coming out to actually defend Donald Trump. They will focus on the process and the constitutionality. They will argue that it is neither wise nor is it constitutional to convict somebody in an impeachment trial, a president who has already left office. Exactly. It's a waste of time. You have the thorough investigation. It's going to take the FBI months to get through, but they're going to do it in the Senate in a week? Well, you know, it's interesting, Brian. I'm not as confident as Jonathan Caro is about how the Republicans will vote. Um, I think there's a possibility, a strong possibility McConnell will vote for conviction. And if there is conviction, there will then be a separate vote for uh, banning Donald Trump from seeking office again. That only takes a majority. And if there is so, if there's conviction on 67 votes, you're darn uh, right that there's going to be uh, a majority to prevent the president from ever seeking public office again. And I think a lot of Republicans and Democrats are united on that. I think a lot of the Republicans in the Senate were tired of Trump. Uh, the J- January 6th uh, riot at the Capitol, I think, pushed them over the edge. And I think McConnell is in that group. They're done with Trump. And so I am not convinced yet that we will not see conviction yeah. uh, in the Senate. I, I, th- I talked to somebody uh, who's spent a lot of time with McConnell lately, and he says McConnell is coming around to understanding that that would really just dis- uh, destroy the party. Because oh, whatever you think of Trump, it will destroy the Republican Party. Marco Rubio had this to say, who would benefit if Donald Trump went away, by the way, I would imagine. Cut 38. The first chance I get to vote to end this trial, I'll do it, because I think it's really bad for America. If you want to hold people accountable, there's other ways to do it, particularly for president, including, as I said, the perspective of history, and, and even now, as people are learning more about all this. But it's really bad. When you talk about situations like this, this is, this is not a criminal justice trial. This is a political process. And, and that's just it. We're going to watch the grim walk from the House to the Senate, and no. nobody cares. And then we're going to pretend they're not—one thing that Mitch McConnell made clear— I will not do other business for Joe Biden while we're doing this. If you're going to do impeachment, that's all we're doing. So Joe Biden is not happy about that at all. And that's why there's really no appetite with this Biden administration for the Trump impeachment, it seems. Well, you know, Brian, even on that, though, Joe Biden has not said that. Joe Biden has said it's up to Congress. Um, He's been working with them on a scheduling so that he can, you know, get his business done. I think I think a lot of people are waiting to see how this plays out. Uh, I think it is terrible for the country, and and I think it, it really is probably unconstitutional to try a president who's no longer president. You have the issue of what the chief judge is going to, Chief Justice Roberts, whether he's going to preside uh, on that very question. But but I think that the hatred for Trump and the and the unifying impact it has on Democrats, they will push it and push it and push it. And they will stop only when it doesn't work or when Republicans force them to stop. But they intend to keep beating Donald Trump because it works for them. I mean, just think of all the craziness they did over four years, Russia, Russia, Russia. Well, it worked. Uh, Ukraine, the impeachment, it worked in uh, 18 to give them the House. It worked in 20 to win everything for them. They are not going to give up. Donald Trump is so important to their view of the world that I think they're going to 
we're going to be surprised, but we shouldn't be, at the tricks they pull out of a bag trying to keep Donald Trump's name in the news. Uh, Mike Goodwin, thanks so much. Uh, read him in the New York Post and Fox News. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. All right. Uh, when we come back, your calls, one 408 7669 Then, Antifa. Why are Democrats reluctant to call out a group that doesn't like them either? Why? They're terrorists. They're trying, looking for anarchy. They're destroying cities and innocent people. What is the problem? We'll discuss with Andy Nago, editor-at-large for The Post Millennial and author of the upcoming book, Unmasked, Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy. It's Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Well, listen, I think they have to be smart about supporting a COVID package that makes sense. Now, you know, what it's starting to look like to me is it's becoming a, a Christmas tree where everybody gets to hang their favorite ornament on it. I don't know what a $15 minimum wage has to do with COVID relief at the moment. We're talking about immediate relief that we need to get to individuals, to small businesses, and to make sure that our vaccination program is as efficient and effective as possible. That's what Republicans should be talking about. And I think that, again, this is going to be one of those battles we're going to see. Um, and we're much better as a Republican Party when we're talking about issues um, that are going to matter to the American people. We're going to need to get a COVID package done. We will get a COVID package done. But we shouldn't just give in on every one of those pieces. Especially because we just say we just mailed out nine hundred billion. Jim was on WABC in New Jersey. And Jim, the one thing the Republicans said, can we target the fourteen hundred? It's not that we want to keep it from people, but some still have a job, are making the same money, and this check comes in the mail that we're we're writing on overdraft. Yeah, Brian, I love the show. Listen, Brian, we need to come to the realization that there's no two parties in this country. There's the Republican and the Democrats are one party. It's like the WWE wrestlings where you have the superstars and then you have the sad sacks that come in. The Republicans love being the sad sacks. They love to just complain and scream. They don't want to put any anything together, any anything that's worthwhile together. They say stuff when they're running, just like McConnell was going to uh, take care of Obamacare. When the cameras are on, they say one thing. When the cameras are off, they're all out together at their cocktail parties laughing at us, the American public. It's a, it's a uh, disgrace. Jim, I tell you what, I don't think they really know each other that well anymore. I talk to a lot of these guys and these women. They, they almost have no interaction. And that's part of it because they don't have to. And I think that the fact that they had this phone call over the weekend uh, that Republicans were on, like Senator Bill Cassie was on there and uh, Mitt Romney was on there. I know Mitt Romney, but uh, Mitt Romney was on there. Uh, they had uh, obviously Joe Manchin put it together and there was pushback among Democrats on this. There's like, you know, it's way too much money. What are you doing? And you have to justify taking this money. So I think if they come out with some type of package, I'm, I'm for I want to open up the small businesses. I'm encouraged now Joe Biden just shows his pure politics is pushing to open up these schools and businesses. And I think we're on the same page on that because politics is over and the election's over. I think we're on the same page 
with uh, getting these right. Sometimes uh, these small businesses need the, the plexiglass. They need the spacing. They need uh, some of the things that have to happen during the pandemic to get them open again. But just writing a blank check, I don't think is going to work anymore. Especially because in Chicago, they told them to open. You know what Chicago said? No, I don't think so. The union said no. So kindergarten to eighth grade still home. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. The police can maintain law and order as long as you haven't lost order in the first place. When order's been lost, uh, conventional police departments don't have either the resources or the the tactical expertise Mm -hmm. to restore it, which is why when we had the uh, insurrectionist violence over the summer, there was a lot of... uh, suggestion that President Trump at the time invoked the Insurrection Act, because not because we wanted military in the streets. It was because of a recognition that once order is lost, it's hard for domestic law enforcement to restore it. And that's what Andy McCarthy was saying about what we're seeing uh, on the upper northwest uh, in Portland and Tacoma, Washington. You see it in Seattle. I don't have to explain it to Andy Nago. He's the editor-at-large for The Postmillennial and author of the upcoming book, Unmasked, Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy. Andy, a lot of people are surprised that uh, after the election, Antifa's still a problem. Are you? No, I'm not. And if you've been listening, uh, if people have been listening to what I've been saying for several years now in my reporting, is that the whole... Um, excuse I'd answer for use to riot throughout from 2016 onwards, um, rising up to 2020, um, was based on uh, a falsity. They said they, they were mobilizing in the streets to oppose the fascist regime of Trump. And based on that lie, they were given um, a lot of uh, legitimacy in through allies in the mainstream media and other important institutions like entertainment and academia. And so um, the mainstream left, um, to the detriment of us all, have been feeding and growing this beast. And now I'm afraid it looks like it's too big to slay. Um, There was just rioting overnight in Tacoma, Washington. That was a place where in 2019, one of the Antifa militants launched a deadly firebombing attack on an ICE facility. On Inauguration Day in Seattle and Portland, there were mass violence in the streets that were advertised way ahead of time. So this is, I mean, you know, just think about it. They had six months in the Pacific Northwest to perfect their arts of rioting, to create the networks and connections and systems to keep it going and going and going. Well, they want anarchy. They want they want the prisons empty. They want the laws gone. They want the police gone. Who are these people? These people are made up of um, citizens from all different stratas of society. So uh, a lot of my work has been focused on getting the public records on the mugshots, the names, the charges, 
and uh, their backgrounds, and many of them are involved in white-collar, respectable professions such as ac academia, um, medicine, even journalism. Um, and then there's also another side of Antifa that includes people who are um, vagrants or um, sometimes homeless, uh, people dealing with mental health issues. And so this ideology is um, part of it is exploiting a very vulnerable population in America and basically using them as henchmen and goons to carry out street thuggery under the guise of social justice. So listen to what the FBI director said about six months ago. Chris, Antifa, Chris Ray. Antifa is a real thing. Um, we look at Antifa as more of an ideology or a movement than an organization. Uh, to be clear, we do have quite a number of properly predicated domestic terrorism investigations into violent anarchist extremists, any number of whom self-identify with the Antifa movement. So what does he mean that that really threw a lot of people to go, yeah, they're a real thing and they're an idea? What do you think he was getting yeah. at? So he's not wrong, but I think where he is mistaken is that like, it's not just that Antifa is not an organization in terms of there's no one Antifa, but what he should have followed that up uh, on, and, this, and I go into this in the book, is that Antifa is made up of networks of many shadowy organizations who are formal groups that have a recruiting process, a vetting process, a process of radicalization that makes them very much uh, an organization just like any other extremist fringe movement on the far right. Um, I think just to view this as entirely just an ideological movement misses half the picture in that then you're not able to go after the networks that are p organizing these riots. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, now, so uh, so they're, they're not happy with Biden. We saw them wreck the DNC or the, one of the buildings there in uh, Portland. So when people say that Antifa was not part of the riots on January 6th, that it, it breached the Capitol building, do you know that for sure? Well, the investigations are still ongoing. Uh, I was very careful to not spread rumors that were going viral on the day just because, you know, things were happening in real time and people were misidentifying some of them. I will say that one of the people uh, that I identified early on, his name is John Sullivan, um, and he's been subsequently arrested. Um, I recognize him as a far-left radical from Utah because he had been arrested at a riot last year where a person was shot. So, it, you know, this uh, if the media is interested in identifying everybody who is involved in there and they should be interested, then they should actually carry out that mission rather than just identifying the people who fit a certain mold that um, right. suits their narrative. And Indigo, my guest, he's uh, got a book coming out called Unmasked Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy. Andy, can you describe to me why Democrats are reluctant to call them out, why they feel very confident calling out um, uh, right-wing extremist groups like Proud, uh, the Proud Boys, but not this? Why, why wouldn't they just say, yeah, I, I condemn them? After all, there was anti-Biden stuff written on the DNC wall. Yeah, so not only anti-Biden stuff, they actually held a large banner that said, we don't want Biden, we want revenge. And there was a large graphic of a Kalashnikov rifle, if that wasn't clear enough. 
Um, the reason why Democrats have been for years now reluctant to criticize the far left extremists is because these groups like Antifa, like BLM, um, have used the cloak and mantle of anti-fascism, anti-racism, social justice to deflect any criticism. And because they, one crucial thing that I write about in the book is they also have a lot of fellow travelers and even members who are involved in the media and press and journalism. So um, it's just, there's such a heavy political cost to come out against them, you know, like um, we've been fooled, many have been fooled until thinking that if you are against the Antifa, that means you're pro-fascist. And if you're against BLM, that means you're against black lives. Like when, you know, that's not an honest intellectual argument, it's just a cheap deflection. And unfortunately it works. Um, so uh, I don't, I mean, you know, the agenda, the, the current administration going forward has to lean until this intersectional identity politics stuff. So I don't see them being able to counter um, the extremism from the far left, given that the far left advocate for, at least on this instance, some of the same stuff, just taken to the logical conclusion. All right. And uh, people out there, why the Northwest? Like what's located out there that, uh, that gave birth to this movement? And why will it stay out there? So Portland was where the uh, first and largest uh, Antifa group was established, Rose City Antifa. Uh, and uh, I write about, I published in the book for the first time some of these documents that have been leaked from somebody who went through the membership process. So um, once these like organization takes root in a particular area, then it also grows in neighboring cities and areas. So um, that's one reason. Another is just that the Pacific Northwest is such a political left-wing monoculture. Um, and so you have, at every level of leadership, um, all people who identify as progressive and on the left. So they're all um, share many of the same goals as what these extremists are doing. That's why they don't come out to condemn them. And even when Antifa and BLM claimed siege territory in Seattle last year for more than three weeks, the mayor at that time dismissed it and said it could be a summer of love. And Ugh. this is an area where people were killed. I know. And these mayors are all coming back to, to change their tune on that, uh, even though they're left-wing uh, extremists themselves. Andrew Nagot, thanks so much. I look forward to talking to you along the way because, uh, as you know, these riots are spreading. Andy, thank you. Thank you. 1-866-408-7669. I'll take some of your calls, find out if there's more to know when we get back. Also, this is one year ago yesterday, the first time that we had a positive case here of this virus, and that's when uh, it became clear that, uh, that Wuhan was locking down and there was something big happening. 180 countries would later be poisoned. And we understand, too, there's a second wave hitting China again. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. He hates cardio, but loves to run his mouth. Fox and Friends co-host and host of the Brian Kilmeade Show on Fox News Radio, Brian Kilmeade. Way to win me over. Yes. You know, uh, Brian, if I were president, my first executive order would have you thrown in a bottomless pit with spikes at the bottom. You asked me to do the show. You realize that. Yeah? You asked me every week to do the show. I do the show, and you actually read from the paper. So you yes, write down. I write down. You keep coming back. Uh, I know. That's so dumb. Fair I, point. I, so you like it. Uh, that was a little of the chicanery of the Greg Gutfeld show over the weekend. Why do I do that show? I don't know, but you do it every time. You and Greg have this like really interesting, almost like abusive relationship with one another. Right. It's an abusive, but does it help the audience? I don't think it helped. I don't think it helps anybody for me to do that show. Do you I mean, think it helps anybody? It's entertaining. Yeah. Because like the, 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 you know, the tensions in your relationship, right? It's good ratings. Right. But do you think people have, don't people have their own relationships to worry about? Do they have to worry about my relationship with Greg? It's more fun to live vicariously through <laughs> others. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, perhaps. Uh, Steve, you're listening to Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, Steve. Hey, Brian. What's on your mind? Well, I'm really over the um, left accusing the right of what they've done. And so here's here's what I am asking others to Pick up, you know, they have all these banners and, and slogans on the left. Here's here's the here's the response to the projection of what they've already done bad for the last two generations, and it's only getting worse. And Katie Couric wants us to be indoctrinated. Look in the mirror, Katie Couric. Look in the mirror, Pelosi. Look in the mirror, Biden. You keep accusing the right of your bad things that you've done, your sins, your crimes. We all need to stand up collectively, Brian with the chant, look in the mirror, look in the mirror. I'm sick of it. We need to tell them to look in the mirror because they're the guilty ones. They have turned this culture upside down starting in the 60s, and we need to push back like Trump tried to do. He tried to regain ceded territory. It needs to stop. It needs to stop yesterday. Trump tried. He did everything he possibly could. No, he wasn't a saint. Neither am I, neither are you, and neither is anybody out there that I've ever met. So, but we need to stop this today, yesterday, last week, last month, last year, five years ago. They kept doing it, and I'm over it, Brian. All right. Look and gotcha, mirror, Steve. you evil leftist people. All right. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Uh, the one thing we, we can agree on, both sides got to rally together on the pandemic. Not write big checks to not work, but to work. We understand, too, that today, Gavin Newsom will start lifting up some of the lockouts, uh, lockout restrictions, and allow outdoor dining. And in California, it'll matter. They have outdoor dining here, it'll matter. And do you know also in New York, not only does Governor Cuomo, Democrat, not speak to the mayor of New York City, Democrat, do you know that he doesn't even have a good relationship with Senator Schumer? So what is he doing? Why does every, why did, this guy just loves himself? And by the way, you would think if, if he has New York's best interest in mind, he'd probably be trying to be tight with the majority leader. Ben, listen on WOKV in Jacksonville, Florida. Hey, Ben. Good morning, Patriots. I wish to return you to a concept that was brought up during your excellent interview with our exciting new congressman from our free state of Florida. One of the EOs that was uh, thrown upon us during the Biden administration has been the alteration of the landscape of women's sports. And because of your expertise in that area of sports, 
I'm curious about your perception of how, as a father of daughters and granddaughters now, how the landscape going forward for women's sports will mature. Secondarily, will the uh, professional sports ownerships try to fight this edict to preserve the integrity of their sport? I would hope so, but you need to come from players. Like Martina Navratilova brought it up a couple of years ago. I don't think that a man who decides to transition to be a woman should compete against women. And if maybe they just decide they identify as a woman. That's one thing. But you can't go into the Olympics and compete against women because you feel like you are uh, a woman in a man's body. You have a man's body. You cannot compete with women. It is not fair. And when Martina Navratilova, one of the first um, one of the first lesbians to come out and say, hey, I might be the best in the world. I got another announcement. I'm a lesbian. She's not exactly on the, on the, on the deep right. She said that, and she got massive blowback. So I read this. She went radio silent afterwards. But it's up for females in sports to stand up and say this is, this is not right. It's not fair to people who spend four years trying to be the great swimmers, trying to be great field hockey players, let alone the ones that want to be pros. It just... Uh, I have no idea why we're talking about this one week into an administration in the middle of a pandemic. Can you believe this? But I I do want to parry to uh, the medical field because we have to get the vaccine. It's got to go across the country. We know the folly that is the accusation that there was no plan to get out the coronavirus. There is. They've got about 900,000 a day, but we're running out of the actual vaccine. Ron Klain was asked about what the problem was. He's the chief of staff for Joe Biden. Here's what he discovered, cut 29. I think it's many bottlenecks, like all complex processes. This is a very complex process that needs help on all fronts. Uh, We need more vaccine. We need more vaccinators. We need more vaccination sites. And in the Biden administration, we're tackling all three. You know, you said at the top, the fundamental difference between the Biden approach and the Trump approach is that we're going to take responsibility at the federal government. We're going to own this problem. We're going to work closely with the states. They are key partners in getting this done. But we're also going to do uh, the work ourselves. We're going to set up these federal vaccination centers to make sure that in states that don't have enough vaccination sites, we fill fill those gaps. We're going to work closely with the manufacturers to ramp up production. Okay, uh, get it done. And I don't care who gets the blame. I I worry about the federal government doing these things because it never works out. When the federal government's in control, the governor says, "Okay, I'm going to let them do it. I'm not going to I'm going to not screw up these contracts. I'll get out of the way. So um, I like the the fact is, if I'm a governor, give me the stuff. I'll handle it like what they did in West Virginia, like what they're doing with Florida. Whether it stops and starts, yes. But of course, what does the Washington, D.C. know about? Washington State. You need the governor to tell you that. And and that, that is the concept that Trump was working under. Give people the power. Uh, the mayors and the governors. And now, as I mentioned on Friday night, now we're going to have a situation where the governor's going to go, yeah, it wasn't my fault. one 408 That's the number to call. Go to BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Listen to our show anytime, anywhere. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. 
Brian Kilmeade. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening to the show. We have a lot to discuss from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, coming up shortly, no stranger to New York audiences, Bob Glauber from Newsday, but he's also president of the Pro Football Writers Association. We now have a Super Bowl matchup. We've got a lot of intrigue with it. It's going to be Bucks against the Chiefs. Uh, this guy named Tom Brady, I think, is going to show up, and the reigning MVP will be his opponent, just 25 years old. And then Jeffrey Scott Shapiro on the chances of impeachment, the president getting convicted and being tossed out and getting those 17 votes from Republicans. I don't see that happening at all. I don't even see why we're having it. And coming up next, Jamie Metzl will be here. Uh, Jamie's a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council and uh, founder of One Shared. Uh, he is calling right, in his Newsweek story today. He, is, uh, he was appointed to the WHO as an expert advisory committee member. Uh, he is a genius. And he wrote how Beijing must come clean about the COVID-19, uh, uh, COVID-19 virus. The fact is that we went back to the WHO without any preconditions, and we said thank you so much for accepting us back, rather than demanding that they stop answering to China and start answering to the world and get in and find out what actually caused this virus. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Mahomes, Brady, Super Bowl, yes. a history of the sport and life. <laughs> it's what every fan or a million of them wanted other than obviously Buffalo and Green Bay this week. Youth first experience, Mahomes against this guy named Tom Brady. He's over there for his 10th Super Bowl. But there were some key elements missing this year. Like the Budweiser Clydesdales, Bud along with Coke, Ford, Little Caesars, and more, do not want to tick people off. So they are deciding not to buy ads at the Super Bowl. It is still not sold out. Can you believe this? Number two. I'm afraid that some of the actions that President Biden and the administration has taken is actually going to cause an immigration and border security crisis on our southwest border. And that's something that we don't need right now. No kidding. Immigration. We ban most travel from other countries, many allied countries because of the coronavirus. But caravans? Okay, come one, come all. You're here illegally. We're not going to deport you for at least 100 days. How does this make sense? Number one. My view is, is Biden has to do bipartisanship. His whole campaign was built on unity. If he doesn't do that, he makes his campaign a lie. So he has to try it. And I'm reasonably optimistic they can do it. Yeah, David Brooks, togetherness, unity, compromise. So far, not so much. What we have seen with these executive orders is my way or the highway. And we're not even going to tell you what's on the highway. Uh, and that's what we've been seeing. We have uh, 17, 19 executive orders. I think another 10 are coming up today. He is just basically doing what he can for his agenda, not for the country. His country is now exporting oil, more oil and gas than the and any, uh, then importing for the first time since Harry Truman was president. And he wants to throw that away in an order, in an effort to kiss up to the left wing of his left party. It's a joke. Uh, and it's got to stop. And the thing is, when you go to press, when they come to some bipartisan look, which is if they have a piece of legislation and want bipartisan buy-in, if you don't buy it, they'll just get rid of the filibuster, which is exactly why Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell are at loggerheads. They have a 50-50 Senate. They cannot agree even how the makeup of committees. Why? Because McConnell says, I'm not signing off on anything until you agree not to get rid of the filibuster. But Dick Durbin says, no, no chance. Cut for The American people want us to take action, action on this pandemic, action on this economy, and on a, a host of other issues. And if this filibuster has now become so common in the Senate that we can't act, that we just sit there helpless, shame on us. 
Of course we should consider a change in the rule under those circumstances. Why? But let's see. Let's see if we can initiate a real bipartisan dialogue and get something done. Yeah, there, That's the bottom line. There was a meeting last night, and it was on the phone, and it was Republicans and Democrats, and it was over the $1.9 trillion plan. And I talked to Bill Cassidy today on television, and the doctor said that it was pushed back from Democrats who said, you want $1,400, we just gave you $600. What do you need the four hundred dollars for? Fourteen hundred dollars for? Well, it's going to everybody. Well, there's a lot of people. Well, we got to target that money because you don't want to give it to people that don't need it. It's got to be people's unemployment. And over the weekend, I hear this story that uh, this girl's about to get hired. It's about to take a job. She got fired from the Marriott because everybody in hospitality's been destroyed in the hotel industry, in the bar industry, in the restaurant industry. You, I don't need to explain to you. They were about to get a job with a major corporation, and then when Joe Biden passed this other bill that's going to give them $600 and $1,400 in addition to the unemployment, she says it no longer it no longer behooves me to work. I'll make less money. I'm not taking the job, which I would never. If it was my family, you're taking the job. If you ask me my advice, you take the job. But people say, no, I don't think so. I'm not taking a job and making less money. Here's Mitt Romney, what he said about Unity Cut 7. I think it would be uh, unrealistic to assume that uh, that Democrats and Republicans are going to see eye to eye on every issue. Uh, there are going to be differences of opinion. Uh, that's expected. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's appropriate for us to have unity of, of purpose, unity of heart, uh, a recognition that we respect each other and treat each other uh, with comity. And, and that is something which I believe President Biden wants to see. A- at the same time, I think there are some actions the president is taking that, uh, that are going to lead to some anger and division. No kidding. Uh, like the immigration reform without border security, like the $1.9 trillion without accountability. You know, one thing they, they pushed back on, Angus King and company said uh, he's a, I suppose he caucuses with the Democrats. He's from Maine. Said, why do you need this? Uh, why do we need $350 billion for schools? We just gave $200 billion in the last package. They go, okay, we'll get back to you. Okay, get back to you. You didn't include the whys? You weren't expecting the whys on the $1.9 trillion? Tim Alberta on Meet the Press yesterday from Politico, Cut 11. I think there are probably more of those Republican senators than uh, than many of us realize. And I think uh, one of Joe Biden's sort of unique gifts here, stepping into this role as president at a time like this, is that he knows uh, not just how many there are, but who those individuals are. And he knows sort of which buttons to push and, and, and when to push them and then when to sort of back off. And keep in mind, you know, Joe Biden was in a similar position 12 years ago as vice president incoming in the Obama administration. And uh, there, there was there was some belief that with the stimulus package that was pushed through very hastily without any Republican votes, that that was a tactical mistake, that in some ways it sort of poisoned the well with certain Republicans on the Hill who, had they taken a little bit more time, would have been willing to sign on to that deal. So I think that that memory still haunts Biden a little bit. So uh, I don't want to take too long, and I don't want to get into coronavirus because we have an expert coming up next. Bottom of the hour, we'll talk about the impeachment. Uh, I do want to do, uh, and we're also going to be able to talk about the Super Bowl in this hour. But about the getting along, it would be so easy for Joe Biden to have a, a couple of executive orders that, that hit everybody's needs. And just to send a symbol, put pressure on Republicans, saying put pressure on Republicans by showing you give halfway. But it is almost as if he doesn't even know what he's signing. 
At the very least, say, I am signing this because, fill in the blank, I am signing this because, but the way he looks down after he signs, the way he looks down, it's like he's never seen it before. That worries me. Whose agenda is it? Is Ron Klain the president? So when we come back, uh, what's with the WHO? We're back. Why is why should we be back there, if at all? And why didn't we demand at least an apology and a promise to get to the bottom of the Wuhan virus? Jamie Metzl, senior fellow of the Atlantic Council, will be next in a moment. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. So we're at the end of February. CDC official gives a briefing to reporters that tanks the markets when she says that within the community there may be a virus spreading and it could cause severe disruption to daily life. Dr. Fauci goes on television a few days later and says the risk to Americans remains low. You're watching this, and what are you thinking? Simon, so South Africa, we're yelling at the CNN <laughs> television saying, this is going to be a pandemic. Because the Chinese, what I saw from China, when you overwhelm your hospitals, you have to know that you have broad-based community spread before that happens. Yet they weren't seeing it. And that really worried me. That was uh, Dr. Deborah Burks uh, talking about what it was like working with the Trump administration, doing before she's there, after she's there, and why she's retiring in a month and a half. But also how Anthony Fauci, I don't know if she realized she was doing it, got it wrong again. He got it wrong consistently, and he continues to get it wrong and lauded by the press. I have no idea why. Maybe because he's against Trump. So she was out there saying a lot of there was some problems with the administration and dual uh, uh, dual information streams about this uh, pandemic. We haven't seen like this in a hundred years. We still don't know how this started. We know they're in China, and they're actually telling us to blame Fort Detrick. They're saying that we started it. I know how laughable that sounds. We quickly jumped out of the WHO. Why? Because they could not get answers from China. They were taking their cues from China while praising China and not letting the uh, the WHO officials in to this day to find out how this all started. Jamie Metzl has had it with it. Uh, He is fed up with it. He wrote this story in Newsweek, really caught our attention. Headline is Beijing must come clean about the COVID-19 origins. Uh, Jamie, welcome back. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. Now, are you a member of the WHO? No, I'm a member of the WHO Expert Advisory Committee on Human Genome Editing. So I'm advising them on how to set the rules for some of the most powerful technologies in human history. You know, getting some hits on your line. But I was shocked that Anthony Fauci hopped on uh, on their uh, conference call and said, we'd like to come back to the WHO. You've done great work. You're my dear friend. What exactly great has the WHO done as it relates to this virus? Well, first let me say the WHO is an essential organization. If we didn't have it, we would have to recreate it because we know that these global pandemics and health issues are global in nature and and we can't address them them nationally. Um, But it's clear that the WHO didn't sound the alarm early enough um, and it 
uh, didn't send its emergency uh, investigators to Wuhan early enough. And, and we can criticize the WHO for that. We also need to be mindful that the WHO doesn't have the mandate. It's not empowered to do those things. It's not allowed to have its own surveillance network. Uh, it doesn't, it's not allowed to send its investigators anywhere on earth on a moment's notice. And so the WHO has been operating with arms tied behind its back. Um, but certainly the WHO could have and should have done better. You want this question answered, as should the world. How did this start? We still don't know. That's exactly right. I mean, I, I am a progressive, uh, Brian, so I'm, I'm just trying to come at this objectively. But one year ago, when I was looking at, the, at what was happening in Wuhan, and it was clear uh, that this was a bat coronavirus, but the bats that were the suspect bats exist more than 1,000 miles away in, in southern China. And we know that Wuhan has the only highest level virology institute in all of China that was doing really dangerous gain-of-function research on bat coronaviruses. So why do we have the outbreak in that one town? Is it just coincidence? That always seemed unlikely to me. And we need to have a full investigation that looks at all of the possible origins. And I think the, the lab leak, in, in my view, is the most likely origin. And why is it important to know where this came from? And why does it, uh, should we all be disturbed that China won't tell us and give anybody access to that lab? So for the first question, when a plane crashes, we don't say, wow, a plane crashed. You know, let's redouble our efforts on airline safety. We say, well, let's find out why this particular plane crashed, because we know that there's a danger and we all face it. And so we have to understand where this pandemic came from as a way of responding to this and so we know what we're facing and addressing what's obviously one of our biggest vulnerabilities for next time. And this lab, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, um, we have to know what was happening there. There was all kinds of secret research. We now know that the Chinese military um, was doing secret animal pathogen research. They haven't come clean to the lab. They've, um, they've deleted their databases. They've destroyed samples. And getting to the bottom of this requires a full and thorough and unrestricted investigation into what was happening at the, at the Wuhan Institute of, uh, of Virology and more broadly. And to this day, we don't have that. And that's what we need. So, so this is, uh, Jamie, I know the WHO doesn't have their own army to force their way into China. But the minute they would not give me access, if the WHO officials sat at a press conference and say, I am concerned this could be a global pandemic that could kill hundreds of thousands of people and we're not giving, giving access in China to the Wuhan lab, people would have taken notice. Instead, it was praising the Chinese for allowing being so transparent while they were arresting their whistleblowers. Yeah, you know, so... Definitely. Um, I, again, as someone who's very supportive of the WHO, I am a critic of how this was, uh, was handled. They should have done better. And we need to look at the WHO and look at, at how it can be improved and strengthened. But we also need to recognize that the way that we, including the United States, have structured the WHO is so that it's very weak. Uh, the WHO only controls 20 percent of its own budget. Everything else, it has to go around with, a, with kind of a begging bowl. And because of that structure, 
it's very, very difficult for the WHO to challenge powerful member states like China. They should be in the business of doing that, of saying, hey, we're not getting the information we need. Our investigators are being blocked, and we are sounding the alarm. And that's, that's the WHO that we need, but it's not what we've built over recent decades, and we have to build it now. So we're talking to Jamie Metzl, Senior Fellow at the Atlantic Council uh, and One Shared World Founder. Uh, Jamie also wrote a column in Newsweek. you got to read it. It's called Beijing Must Come Clean About the COVID-19 Origins. Jamie, are you surprised that they're actually trying to push back through their media, trying to brainwash their people into thinking that this came from Fort Detrick? You know, I am I'm not surprised. Um, I, I'm also a, a, a scholar of, of China for many uh, for many decades. And, you know, people you go to normal people, you go to Beijing and you go to Tiananmen Square and you see that picture of Mao and you think, oh, it's nice. Mao, like they're George Washington. No, Mao is responsible for the death of nearly 50 million Chinese people. And the Chinese government has just changed that narrative. And so that's the business that the Chinese government is in, is creating these false narratives, whether it's about the Great Leap Forward or the Cultural Revolution or Tiananmen Square, and now COVID. And they may choose, the Chinese government may choose to do that, but we shouldn't be playing along. Uh, we shouldn't. And we got to find a way to, uh, we've got to find a way to get to that Wuhan lab and be able to see it. I understand one of the first things they did is they hosed down the whole, uh, that whole uh, market, wet market, uh, before right. anyone could even get in there. They had to know they were either covering their tracks or wiping it out to make it, uh, make, it in, make it a total unknown how this thing started. What's their great fear, that they were doing something unsavory and they were about to be found out? Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's certainly, as I write about on my jamiemetzel.com website, where I have the equivalent of 40 pages, on making the case for why we should think of the lab leak hypothesis as, in my view, uh, very likely. Um, And even with the wet market, I mean, this pandemic um, didn't come from the wet market. China, that was a lie, and China knew it was a lie relatively early last year, but kept going with that. Uh, Jamie, thanks so much. We're going to read those 40 pages. Appreciate what you're doing. Don't move. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. To the Democrats, I would argue it's not just about the conviction. It's about focusing that he can never run again office and that that is because of what he's done and he has to both be morally judged and then politically and legally judged. Oh, that's right. Rahm Emanuel, he's the moral compass of the nation. He's deciding that the president out of office needs to be impeached. That really should be the the primary mover and shaker of of, uh, the things most important to America. And by the way, just uh, if anybody had any doubt that these lockdown shutdowns were political, and you looked at the Republican governors keeping their states open and the Democrats won not. Michigan, Chicago, and now California have all lifted their lockdowns and are allowing small businesses to open, churches to open, as well as restaurants. Now, not entirely, but beginning. Friday, Washington, D.C. opened their restaurants to, I think, 20 to 50 percent capacity when they were ju- it was just too scary to do that earlier. 
Joining us now, Jeffrey Scott Shapiro, found, uh, former assistant attorney general uh, in Washington, D.C. Jeff, welcome back. Hi, Brian. How are you? Good. Uh, so you were able to eat indoors yesterday. If you, do you still live in Washington? No, I'm actually in South Florida. I was actually um, working at an operation down here on Latin American affairs for the administration for the past near four years. And I'm uh, originally from South Florida. So I do come to uh, Washington, D.C. here and there. And I am familiar with the situation as you're talking about it. Uh, it's just uh, unbelievable how much uh, pain, unnecessary pain has been caused. If you look at Florida, everybody knows the pandemic's there, but we're trying to live with it as opposed to hiding from it while your life falls apart. But, uh, Jonathan, as you look at impeachment now is uh, coming up in February, where do you think this is going to go? I mean, the Democrats want to split the day, half impeachment, half their agenda. Republicans are saying no way. Where do you think? Well, I don't think they have a case, Brian. It's that simple. And that was what I wrote about in The Wall Street Journal, the piece that I wrote on January 10th that was called uh, No, Trump Isn't Guilty of Incitement. I used to prosecute incitement type of cases at the U.S. Capitol, Brian, from 2007 to 2009 for the District of Columbia. And the U.S. Supreme Court has already ruled on the very specific elements in terms of criminalizing speech, okay? It is very, very difficult, and we've created a very high threshold because we do not want to say that people can be charged for what we call mere advocacy. And in this case, the president wasn't even advocating violence. In fact, quite the contrary. He said, let's walk over to the Capitol peacefully, and let's cheer for senators and congressmen and women, okay? So the notion that Congress can simply charge the president with incitement without considering the way the Supreme Court has already interpreted it is a concept that is very foreign to me. I understand some people are saying they can do it because it is a legislative trial. It is a political trial. It doesn't fall within the realm of an Article Three court. But you have to remember something, Brian. When Congress has impeached presidents in the past with these crimes that they have invented, such as obstruction of Congress or abuse of power. These are so-called crimes that Congress has created under the doctrine of maladministration, okay? This notion that maybe Congress can come up with these creative-type crimes that would apply to someone in the Oval Office because they're probably not going to be charged with a regular street crime, right? However, incitement is already a crime in the District of Columbia, and it is a crime under the U.S. Code. And now Congress is saying they can simply ignore the way the U.S. Supreme Court has interpreted it, and they can apply their own interpretation. And I feel that that is unconstitutional. Right. And now if the president's got a good defense, that'll come up. So they're going to bring up specific incidents. They're going to say, for example, and by the way, the impeachment's going to start on the 8th of February. Five supporters facing federal charges have suggested they were taking orders from then-President Trump when they marched on Capitol Hill on January 6th to challenge the certification of Joe Biden's election win. Things like that anecdotal information from people who decide to storm the Capitol. Does that damage the defense case? No, it doesn't, Brian, because if you look at the District of Columbia law, it's a crime to, quote, intentionally or recklessly act in such a manner to cause another person to be in reasonable fear or to, quote, incite or provoke violence where there is a likelihood that such violence will ensue. That language is based on the Brandenburg versus Ohio case from the Supreme Court in 1969, where the court ruled that it can't just be the mere advocacy of violence or a suggestion. It has to be directed to inciting or producing imminent lawless action, okay? Likely to incite or produce such violent action. Now, what they're talking about reminds me of what's called the, uh, the bad tendency test, which came from a Supreme Court case back in 1907. This is like over 100 years ago. 
they would say, look, if there's a, a dangerous situation, if the country is at war or you have a bunch of people that are, you know, protesting outside of a company because it's a union strike and you rile them up and there's a bad tendency to cause violence, you could be held liable. We are light years from that standard at this point, Brian. We're no longer prosecuting people because of the subjective misinterpretation of the listener. We're looking at the objective words of the speaker. And if you look at the objective words of the speaker, the president in this case, he didn't say anything that incited violence. He was perfectly within his rights to tell people to demonstrate outside the Capitol, to walk over to the Capitol peacefully and cheer for senators. That is well within the law. There are no objective words spoken by the president that qualify as a violation under District of Columbia or U.S. statutory code. And, Jeff, I think you'd say just from the non-legal standpoint, what a danger. If we're speaking and someone misinterprets what you're saying, if you have electric language or powerful uh, illustrative language and someone goes out and beats someone to beat someone to death or does what that Bernie Sanders supporter did at the, at, at the baseball game, at the softball practice, almost killed Steve Scalise, and they say, well, I'm a Bernie Sanders supporter and X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. How could we possibly keep up with this? Well, Brian, it's funny you mentioned that because a friend of mine at the Senate reminded me of something recently. Let's go back a minute. Didn't then minority leader Chuck Schumer make some comments about Brett Kavanaugh yes. back in the past? Didn't he say something like they'll be sorry if they vote a certain way? Remember that with the yes. Supreme Court? What if someone had interpreted that as if inciting violence against those justices and they had been injured or they had been killed? Are we now going to prosecute people because of the way certain irrational people may interpret those words? But let's talk about how dangerous what they're doing is in terms of interpreting the elements differently. When I say elements, Brian, what I mean is every law has ingredients, okay? In other words, murder is the unlawful killing of a human being with malice. You can have an unlawful killing of a human being, but if you don't have malice, you don't have murder, right? What if Congress says, hey, we're going to prosecute a president in the future for murder because someone got killed, but there was no malice. There was no bad intention. The act wasn't committed purposely, knowingly, or recklessly. Someone got killed, and we're just going to try this president for murder in a different way than the courts do. Or how about this? I'll do you one better. We're not going to prosecute someone for having an unlawful killing. The president was thinking about deploying troops somewhere. People could have died. It could have been committed, you know, it could have been a murder. We're now going to prosecute him for that. When you start changing elements the way the law is already written, you're getting into a very dangerous area. And I'm really concerned that we're headed that direction right now with this upcoming impeachment trial. Absolutely. You know what you'd hear with Senator Amy Klobuchar? This will not make you feel better. Cut 43. We saw President Trump after the first trial, going to show those pictures right here, when the votes weren't there to convict, he waved uh, the acquitted uh, headline, said this was vindication for him. You concerned that could happen again? My colleagues have not yet committed about what they're going to do. And the news we just got out of the New York Times yesterday uh, that the president was actually actively trying to take out his own attorney general and put in an unknown bureaucrat uh, conspiring with him. I think we're going to get more and more evidence over the next few weeks as if it's not enough that he sent an angry mob down the mall to invade the Capitol, didn't try to stop it, um, and a police officer was killed. I don't really know what else you need to know. The facts were there. You need So you don't need anything else, Jeff? Right, exactly. And the truth is you need a lot more than that. You know, we use the standard beyond a reasonable doubt in the court system for a reason. And even though Congress has different rules for impeachment, I don't think we want to start prosecuting people in the legislative sphere with a lower standard of proof 
or by changing elements. There's a reason that these statutes and these crimes have been interpreted the way they have by the U.S. Supreme Court. And again, if Congress is going to create its own charge, such as abuse of power or obstruction of Congress, that's not something that you or I could be charged with, Brian, okay? That's not something an ordinary citizen could be charged with. So these kinds of charges have not been reviewed under the doctrine of judicial review under Article Three by the Supreme Court. We have vested the Supreme Court with the supreme power of interpreting the law, right? Not Congress. Congress creates laws. The president enacts them and enforces them. And then if someone wants to challenge them, the courts review them, saying, you know what? We know that you already interpreted these things, but we're going to reinterpret them because we're enforcing them in our own chambers. I think that's very dangerous. I hear you. And what about the fact that John Roberts reportedly, as chief justice, does not want to preside over this? What would happen then? Wow, that is a very good question. Um, Someone told me it would be the speaker. It might be Speaker Pelosi. I actually don't know the answer to that, Brian. So that, uh, <laughs> I don't think that that would be a very objective trial, though. Yeah, I, I would. I would hope another justice would probably assume that role, but I would have to go back and check. That would be a very um, partisan uh, trial, in my opinion. Uh, we're talking with Jeffrey Scott Shapiro, former assistant uh, attorney general for uh, in Washington D.C., and we're trying to go get the the chance of impeachment. I actually think at the end of this, Trump is going to come out looking stronger. Uh, and that's the last thing they want to see happen. And Republicans want to move on. There's so much to do. And I think Joe Biden on some level wants to move on, but they're not. Now, listen to what Amy Klobuchar said. She's a lawyer. And she said, I saw this report in The New York Times saying the president wanted to fire his acting director and put his other person in there because they did not want to challenge the Electoral College. OK, an anonymous source told a writer in The New York Times about a move that didn't happen. And now that's going to be evidence This is what we're going to be dealing with. The FBI hasn't even started, uh, gotten knee deep in this investigation yet. It's going to take months. And now Congress is going to do it and give an effective counter uh, defense and prosecution. That, That defies logic, doesn't it? I think that they made a very big mistake, Brian. Honestly, I think that the Democratic Party was uh, ahead of the game at a certain point. And I think that they did have public opinion on their side. But I think when they pushed this into the realm of impeachment, especially with the charge that they levied against the president, it actually created sympathy for him. And it also created a forum for him, I would say probably the biggest forum in the world, for him to make his case. And it actually puts him in the corner of now being the crusader or the champion of free speech. (laughs) Uh, Jeffrey, Scott Shapiro, appreciate it. Great insight. Thank you. I hope we don't need your impeachment expertise. I hope they get wiser, do some type of censure, and move on. Bob Glauber's next. Talks about the matchup of the next Super Bowl. And for the 10th time, after th- for the 10th time Tom Brady plays in it, and it's been 13 years since Tampa was even in the playoffs as they take on the Kansas City Chiefs. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Brady throws end zone. He's got Evans for the touchdown. Brady goes for the deep shot. He's got a touchdown. Scotty Miller. Picked up by his teammate. Devin White back at the end zone. Touchdown breaks.
They trailed early. Uh, they went up actually 14-7, and then they turned it on at the end of the uh, second quarter. Uh, Tom Brady did have three interceptions, but it was enough to hold off Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Big upset, three straight road wins. Tom Brady back in the Super Bowl. One guy joins me now, maybe not surprised. He's seen so much of it up close and personal. He is president of the Pro Football Writers Association, author of Guts and Genius, and NFL columnist for the New York Newsday. Bob Glauber, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. Good for, to talk. Hey, here's a first. First time a host city has got their home team playing in the Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, the 49ers were close back in 84 when they played the Dolphins at Palo Alto, but not their home stadium. So this is the first time. And it's, I, you know, I, I actually am surprised Brady got this far. I thought he'd improve that team. They'd get to the playoffs. They'd get to a wild card, maybe win a game, maybe two, and then that would be it. But, man, Super Bowl for Tom Brady at 43, it's just incredible. I mean, remember, I, and I remember clearly George Bland, a backup quarterback to yeah. Ken Stabler and Daryl Monica, who was a kicker. And people used to say, this guy's amazing. He's 40. I think he was 40 years old and he's still in the game. He looked like 60. He looked 60, yes. Right. But, but, yeah. But this guy's 43 yeah. and he's with it. It doesn't matter who's around him. He always seems, you know, excellent, even on a bad game. He looks, still looks athletic. How do you explain this, Bob? Well, Brian, it's a combination of things. First of all, he's a freak of nature physically. And I think psychologically, the combination of his will, his desire to be great, his you know, effort really makes for this. He's like a cyborg, you know? I mean, he's just so disciplined and so intense and so driven that he takes everything that he's got and he has made it into this incredible career. I mean, it's the best career in sports history. I, I, I don't think it's close. You know, Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron, um, anybody you want to look at, Kobe, uh, all the great ones. It's just, it's just lasted so long, and it's been so dominant for so many years. And now to do it after 20 years in one spot, you go to a new team, you're in a pandemic, and now, now Tom Brady is a gym rat. He needs preparation. He had no offseason. It was all virtual. He didn't get together with his teammates until August, and then he goes and, and gets to a Super Bowl and, and might damn well win it. It's just it's, it's incredible. Rematch. Uh, they played earlier in the year. Patrick Mahomes, the reigning MVP, 25 years old, as elusive. Also, he was not the first pick overall, not the sixth-round pick like Brady, but first-round pick. But a lot of people had a shot at him, including the New York Giants uh, that you know well. So, so Bob, and you went Jets. to this game. When's the last time <laughs> they played in Tampa last time and the Chiefs prevailed? What's going to be? Is it going to be anything different this time? Is it? Does does that game matter at all in this game? Yeah, I do think that game matters, Brian. And you know, just having played them, Brady will be familiar with that defense. And same with Mahomes. And that was the time of the year when Kansas City would be going up on teams, and then they just let these teams back. And this game yesterday was the first time the Chiefs in quite a while looked like, okay, this is that dominant team. They're going to go on a run. You're not going to stop them, and there's, it's just impossible to beat them. That was what they looked like yesterday, and that's what they looked like last year in those playoffs, and that's what they looked like in the first half of this year. But, you know, they, they, I don't know what it was. Maybe they got a little fatigued. It's hard to win when you're the champion. Uh, but they were winning games closely toward the end of the season and the second half, and that included that game against Tampa. So 
all things being equal, if Patrick Mahomes is healthy, and I think he is, um, if they get that offense running mm-hmm. like it can, then it, it, it should be a, a Kansas City win. Um, getting your left tackle injured, you know, Eric Fisher, is that's not a good thing. And, you know, we don't think about offensive linemen until they either get hurt or they commit penalties. And Eric Fisher, the left tackle, has been a very steady force. You know, not having him against a team that likes to rush the passer and does it well will be interesting. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Mahomes makes up for a lot of that just because he's so great. Brian, he's, he's my most favorite athlete to watch, certainly in today's game, and maybe ever. Because he's just got this combination of flamboyance, flair. He's not, you know, he's not like, he's not cocky. He's very confident. And he just has this air about him that you just, just love watching this guy. He's just, he's great. And you're watching greatness in front of you as it develops. And he's still only 25 years old. And, and it's good, the stadium about half full, you think, or less than half full? Yeah, it'll be a little, little less, Brian. I think the max is going to be 22,000. Um, so they're, you know, they're just not going to be a lot of right. fans. But those twenty-two thousand, they're they're going to be loud, and it's it's going. You see these these stadiums with seven thousand people, it gets gotcha. really loud. Bob Glaber, thanks so much. Appreciate it. We have another Super Bowl matchup. It's going to be quite intriguing, like no other, like everything else. The Fox News Rundown: a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news, twice a day, featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.